His will for my life, which is serving Him as a pastor, I had a sense of, of regret, and it was almost stronger than that. It was, it was almost a nagging sense of remorse that personally I just couldn't quite get over. It was, it was the thought that would come to my mind when there was nothing else going on that would kind of bring a, a little bit of a down time to the day. And, and the thought was this, all right, God, I believe you're leading in my life in the sense that you'd have me to leave my job that I'm working in and, and serve you as a pastor. But I just kind of had a thought that everything in my life to that point then had been a waste. I was working in an aerospace company and I was beginning to learn about business and I was learning how to work with people in a professional environment. I was learning how budgets work and I was in a position where I did not get paid for coming to work. That's not how it worked in my position. I got paid for producing, okay? So there was no hourly or uh, type of a guarantee like that. I had to produce. So I was beginning to learn really about pressure and how to make things happen. And, and then the Lord put on my heart, I want you to leave this and, and go to that. And and you know, I've learned in the course of time that I probably learned more about ministry from my time spent in that job than maybe I even did in Bible college. I, I kind of had an idea that pastors, they sit around and they read the Bible and pray all the time, you know. I thought that's kind of all they did. And if I get too far from that, frankly, I've missed the point and that is a major part of it. But it's helpful to know a little bit how business works and how a budget works and how to deal with people. And, and uh, uh, it's good to know that... that Pressures do come into all of our lives, and how do you handle pressure? And, and uh, I learned that what I thought was kind of a regretful sense, I missed out maybe on getting involved earlier in what God wanted me to do. I learned that God in His grace can take all of the experiences of our lives and make them useful, productive for accomplishing what He wants to do today. I learned that God has a miraculous way of taking the mosaic of life's experiences in bringing them together and letting them serve as the resource we need to get something done. We're continuing today in our series entitled Buckle Up. I want to invest a week helping us to realize that our God is really good at resourcing us to do what we need to do, equipping us, putting in our lives those things that are needed. Now, as we think of the analogy that we kind of started this study on, and I know folks are kind of, each week's an on-ramp. If you, if you missed the opening week, we used the analogy of a time when I was traveling and I was upgraded from economy to business class. I didn't pay for the upgrade. I didn't have any, any miles, so to speak, that would allow me to get that. It was just the work of grace. The airline somehow in their system gave me a seat. And we let that analogy teach us that when we became a Christian, if you're here today and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, we were upgraded, so to speak, by the grace of God. We couldn't have paid for that position. We couldn't have earned that position. It was something that God did by His grace. We received by faith the payment that Jesus paid on the cross. Now, once we find that position or that seat in Christ, we found that turbulence, when it comes, it hits the entire plane. And when that happens, we're all going to have times when we get shaken up. But life will present us with moments in time that, if we're not careful, can pull us away from the joy we find in our position in Christ. Now, you can't lose your salvation if you're saved, but you can lose the joy of your salvation. You can cease to live up to the position that you have in Jesus Christ. And we find in this passage of Scripture a great reminder of how God is so good that when the difficult times come, or even the great and exciting challenges come, that we, by God's grace, can can be and do what God would have us to be and do. Let's all stand together at this time, and we're going to look to the text of Scripture today. And uh, Joshua chapter 6 is, excuse me, Judges chapter 6 is where we're going to be, and we're going to look here 
I think it's going to be an encouraging text for us. Judges chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading together in verse 11. And the Bible says here, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash, the Abizarite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, we're going to read on in a moment, but we find here a man by the name of Gideon. The Bible tells us he's, he's threshing wheat, getting the wheat ready from the point it's harvested to the point you can eat it. And he's doing this, the Bible says, in a wine press. And while he's there, the angel of the Lord comes. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Going on in verse 13, and the Bible says that Gideon said then, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Think of that statement. He said, God's forsaken us. He left. He was here, now he's gone. And uh, that was his heart. This is where I'm at. I'm, I'm alone in this situation now. He was here, but he's gone. Verse 14. The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So the angel of the Lord says, Hey, look, I want you to save your whole country. Look at verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? You're talking to me? what he's saying i'm gonna save my country from this horrible problem behold my family's poor manasseh and i'm the least in my father's house and the lord said unto him surely i will be with thee and thou shalt smite the midianites as one man now this is a real life biblical accounting sometimes when we call something a bible story we hear the word story and the connotation is it's not real this was a real event real man and we just read really a small part of the larger story let me give you the uh, the condensed conclusion, Gideon wins, okay, God helps him, he defeats the Midianites, and we'll talk a little bit about that, kind of unpack some of what we read, but uh, really today, uh, I believe we can be greatly encouraged by this, and in the end of verse 16, really in the midst of verse 16, here's a statement that I want us to think of today, I will be with thee, God tells Gideon, Gideon, I'll be with you, I'll be with you, and that's a great thought, all right? And uh, I'm going to pray today that God will help us in our study. And let's just get involved. Let's just get dialed in and make sure we make the most of this time today. Our Father, thank you for your word, for the truth of it, for the opportunity we have to learn and grow. I thank you for each person here today. Bless us, we pray. Bring a holy calm into this service. And uh, may we truly just gather together around your word and, and listen to what it is you want to say to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Many of you know we're kind of closing in on a major milestone as a church family, our 15th anniversary, and, and uh, I'm kind of excited by that to think that God has been continuing a work here for that time, and, and uh, as I'm getting ready for that anniversary time, I've been going through some memories, and, and uh, I was reminded recently that a short time before we started the church here, I'd sometimes preach out in other churches on Sunday while we were getting ready here, and, and there was a message that I preach just about every time. If anybody asked me, hey, would you come and preach as we were getting ready to start this church, I almost always preached the same message, and it was a message out of the verses we read this morning. 
It was a message about Gideon, and I just love the story of Gideon because he was a man that had these odds in front of him. They just seemed overwhelming. It seemed like he'd never win, and he was a little bit down on things, but then God came into the picture, and, and God through Gideon won a great victory, and really I saw in Gideon everything I was hoping God would do in my own life. I never one time felt uh, worthy or, or uh, able to, to start a church, but I thought, man, if God would ever do that, that would be great, and, and uh, this, this message really encouraged me. Now, as I taught this message and preached this message, I, of course, I didn't want to personalize it too much. I was really preaching it in large part to encourage my own heart, but I wanted to be an encouragement to others as well, of, of course. But, but as I entered into this study, my approach was more so how to get things done, how to win a victory, how to, and I, I really do enjoy how-to types of studies in the Word of God. But as I've gone back to this text, really, I've, I'm looking at it more now from the fact that we find in God, a God who works before we need Him. Before the trial comes or before the great opportunity comes, I want us to know we have a God who lives outside of the context of time. He's already in your tomorrow waiting on you. And He's already preparing what it is you're going to need in your next moment. And when you find yourself in a, in a difficult time, know this, God has not forgotten all about you. He's ready for the challenge that you're about to face. Now Gideon really is one of the outstanding heroes in all of the Old Testament. He lived in a time when his nation, Israel, was being oppressed by the Midianites. And here's kind of how that would work. When the harvest time would roll around, they would watch, and when a field would be harvested, they'd rush in and steal the harvest. They just would never let the Jewish people, the Israelites, uh, grow through their difficulties. They were there all of the time. And, and that's where we find Gideon. He was poor, and he was doing this work. And in a short period of time, though, we find that Gideon, through the leadership he gave, and God was leading there, uh, he took 300 brave warriors... And the numbers for the Midianites, it just depends uh, where you're looking and how you're counting, but somewhere between one and 300,000 for the Midianites uh, against 300 warriors that are led by Gideon. And guess what? The 300, they win. It was amazing. It was outstanding. Uh, Gideon is used by God to save the day. God gets the glory. And, and uh, really, when the story ends, Gideon wins. Everybody's celebrating. God is being honored. And it's an awesome moment. But the ending of the story was so very different than the beginning. Because the beginning, we find a dejected, depressed, totally defeated man uh, here by this tree, right? And, and he's going through such a difficult time. He had no confidence uh, in, in his life. In fact, the very opening line of, of our study, and I want you to think of this, when we started reading, we read this, Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press. Now, the wine press is a great place to make wine. It's where you'd press the grapes. It'd be a low spot. And you'd go there and you'd squish the grapes and the juice would run out and there'd be a place where you could retrieve the juice. Uh, it's a terrible place to thresh wheat. Wheat is something that needs to be done up on a high spot. So when you take the wheat as it's been harvested, you can throw it up and the wind will blow the chaff away and it'll leave the grain. And, and he was going through this process and, and yet we see he was threshing wheat in the wine press. That which should have been done in the open. Here he is in a low spot. He's trying to hide. He, he knows he can't let the Midianites see what he's doing or what he's hoping to have for dinner and what he's hoping to feed his family will be taken away. So here's a guy. He's down in a low spot. Being this time of year, it would have been hot. He would have been sweaty. And he would have been throwing the wheat up in this low spot, the wine press. It would have been blowing the chaff back on him probably. So now he's hot and he's itchy. And he would have been probably just a little bit crabby. And clearly he's discouraged. And things aren't going right in his life. And he's in this moment of difficulty. He's just ticked off in general, it seems, at the way things are going. And then that's when God showed up. 
And we might expect that things immediately got better, but sometimes God, uh, He knows we have a learning curve. And, and so He begins to share with us and to, and to help us. In fact, it seems that, that Gideon really here even doubts if God has what it takes. He doesn't know if God is up to the task. And so he asked God a series of questions. We read each of these questions a moment ago in our text, but I want us to look at these questions as we, as we think of the text. Gideon started this way. God, he's talking to the Lord. If the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Here's his question. If God is so good, why is everything right now so bad in my life? If God is so great, why does everything seem to just stink where I'm living? And he was thinking on this. And, and, and so the angel of the Lord comes and he's like, you know, I'm not understanding this. I hear how wonderful God is, but, you know, the world's not just all uh, jelly beans and roses and happy times. There's difficulties out there. And, and then he asked this question. Hey, where's all the miracles? He said, our fathers, the old timers, they told us how great God was. And they told us how God would work and how God would intervene and how God would guide and provide and help and, and how great he is. But Gideon's thinking, hey, I've been looking around for some time now and I'm not seeing any miracles at all. If everything's so great, why is it that bad stuff is in our lives and why are there no miracles? And then he says, wherewith shall I save Israel? That was his last question when God said, I'm going to use you. Gideon's like, you talking to me? You want me to make a difference? Do you know who you're talking at? Do I need to tell you how poor I am? And I'm the least of my family and I don't have anything going for me. He, he asked all these questions and his questions really help us to understand his heart. That's true. But really victory doesn't come from understanding Gideon's heart or even our own heart necessarily. It's, it's a, that's a part of it. But, but what we find was he was missing the fact that God shows up in our lives and His grace outfits us for whatever challenge we are facing. Every question Gideon asked revealed the thought that he did not understand that before that difficult moment was there, God was already working. There were some elements, some components of God's grace in his life that were there. And I want you to see today, friends, that whatever God gives you to do in this life, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer, God in His grace has given you what you need to do the job. Now, I often say if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, you're, you're not a Christian, I am so thankful you're here. And I hope that by hearing how great God is, you'll want to have that personal relationship and it'll begin to make sense to you. And, and I'm grateful you're here. But I want you to know for people of faith, you need to understand this. You will never have one task in your entire life that you can honestly say, I can never do that. Because if God gives it to you to do, He'll give you what you need to get the job done. A few weeks ago, I was in Colorado preaching at my family's home church, and, and uh, that was a lot of fun. A little intimidating preaching. I've, I've got one grandparent left, my grandmother. I think she's 93 or 4. Don't tell her I said that. Cut that out of the video that I forgot exactly how old, okay? But, uh, it, you know, I had aunts and uncles and cousins and, and uh, had a good time preaching. But since I was there during the day, that means something. When you're on a farm, and if you have nothing else going on, that means you're free labor, okay? So I had a little labor to uh, do, and and uh, I was out there getting some work done, and my grandmother's brother was there, and, and um, he had a brand new Bobcat tractor. Just amazing, amazing to me. This tractor, of course, he can get in there, and it's, it's got every comfort imaginable. It's just, he can be sealed in there, so dust is going around. He's comfortable. But anyhow, uh, he, he's uh, uh, working with this Bobcat, and I was helping him, and, and uh, you know, that Bobcat, it had like $40,000 worth of just attachments. I mean, you, you could put a, a bucket on the front, or you could put uh, a plow. I mean, you could do all kinds of things. In fact, it even had a, an attachment that dug holes for, for fence posts. Now, 
uh, you know, every now and then fence posts need to be dug, but if the tractor can do it, I'm always in favor of that over a human being doing it, all right? How many of you would agree with me on that point? And that's probably those who've dug a fence post before, all right? And uh, a hole. And, and, and uh, that, that tractor, it was just set up. It could do anything you wanted to do. I mean, in the winter, he runs a business pushing snow out of parking lots, and in the summer, he stays busy. And, and that tractor, it had every attachment to do every job. And I want you to know something. You have every attachment from God to do every job that needs to be done in your life. And sometimes we, like Gideon, we encounter either a great opportunity or a great struggle. And our first thought is, I can't do that. And God would say, well, no, I, I think you can. I, I, I think you can. Let me, let me share with you. Let me help you. God has built you to be up for the challenges you'll find in your lives. I was reading a book some time ago by a pastor that I really enjoy, Dr. Jeremiah. And he, he mentioned this verse that I've known very well. And he said, no verse in the Bible has more superlatives than this single verse. And I thought, I, I want to be reminded, what is it? And I, I want us to think of this verse today and think of this with you in mind. And God is able. Now we could stop right there. If that's all we did today was read from the Bible where it says God is able, we've been helped. All right? God is able. But He's able to make all grace abound toward you. That ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now guys, I want you to know, God the Spirit crafted this verse in such a way there's no wiggle room, there's no way for Him to get out of it. This is a commitment that God's grace will meet every need in our lives and He, through His grace, can help us do every good work. Now this is key, what is a good work? A good work is any work God's given you to do. If you're here today and you're married, you married the right one. That, that thought could just be gone. You married the right one. And that's a good work to be involved in working in your marriage. And God can enable you by His grace to have a great marriage. If you're here today and you have children, I want you to know God by His grace can enable you to be the parent He'd have you to be uh, on the job, in your, in your work just as a believer trying to share your faith. We have a great God and He can help you to do every task that comes your way. Now as Gideon transforms from a defeated negative person and he was i mean he was just a negative guy you know he was down as he transitions from that into a champion he had to understand that god had been working in his life now that was a long introduction for a short message today okay give some of you encouragement on that what are some truths we learn when we just think of this talk that gideon has with the angel of the lord and I want us to think on this. If you have your outline nearby today, it might be helpful to follow along. The first thought is this. We find here God's provision. And that came by way of His presence, right? The provision of His presence. Now, as God begins to deal with Gideon, He says this. The Lord is with thee. That is a non-negotiable, settled fact for everyone who has a relationship with God through faith. God is always there. Gideon's questions reveal he'd lost sight of the fact he didn't feel like God was really close to him. He, he didn't have the warm fuzzies. He, he wasn't in a service where a song was touching his heart and there was a tear in his eye and a lump in his throat. But, but uh, yet, nonetheless he, nonetheless, he had to learn that God was there. There are moments in time when God feels so very close. And if you're a believer today, you can go in your mind's eye to maybe that day when you came to know Jesus Christ and just the awareness of His love. It was a moment, a tangible moment, and you just felt close to God. Maybe you went through some kind of a, a thing and, and you felt like, boy, God really intervened. But if you've been a Christian for any length of time, there are other days where you don't necessarily feel His presence. You don't necessarily feel like a Christian. Now, you are if you're saved, but those feelings kind of come and, and they kind of go. I want you to know regardless of what we're feeling, God is always there. Here's Gideon. 
He's got a challenge in front of him. He's thinking, I can't do this. And God says, listen, Gideon, I've been here. You can't. I remember when a family moved to this area, uh, I had no idea how to start a church, you know. Um, but I, I, I wanted to please the Lord and do His will, and I thought that's what He wanted. And so here, here was our plan initially. We were saving up to buy a house where we were living, and we took that money, and we had two cars. We sold one of the cars, and that's how we started the church. You know, we had this house money and car money, and, and we moved here. And, and 15 years ago, things really weren't at all economically like they are today. And, and uh, there was building everywhere, and there really wasn't enough uh, in the way of housing. And, and this seems weird to some of you that weren't around at that time. The rest of you can tell them I'm telling the truth. Literally, they'd put a for rent sign on a house or an apartment. People would get in line. There was just not enough housing. And um, so we moved here, and I, I began to see how tough things were just to get a place, and our family needed a place to live. And, and uh, I, I remember one day I... I uh, came and I saw for rent sign on a house and you'd go and you'd sign up and they'd contact you I was, I was number 52 uh, on the list for this one house now when uh, we made arrangements to meet with the lady we began to talk and and uh, she said well you've got to fill out a credit application and for all practical purposes I was unemployed right I mean I'd left a, a job and, and uh, uh, here I am you know she wanted banking information everything I had in the world was in my pocket at that time you know, we'd move. We're just getting established. And she wanted to know who, where do you work. And, well, I, you know, I don't really have a job right now. And, you know, uh, she's wanting to run credit. And really, I, I, I had nothing going for me. And I'm low, low, low on the list. And I got to tell you, it was kind of discouraging. And, of course, you can imagine. We were a little bit nervous and scared anyhow. And here we are. And we can't even find a place to live. And, and uh, the kids, they prefer a roof over their head. And they like to eat dinner sometimes. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is... This is terrible. I, I can't tell you I was doubting God altogether, but I was, I was in it, you know, I was feeling it. And uh, I remember talking with this lady, and I, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but in the source of our conversation, she asked, what brings you to this area? And I said, my wife and I believe the Lord would have us start a church, and so we're going to be starting a church. And, and she said, oh, really, I'm a Christian. And I'm like, well, that's great, you know, me too. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian, that's, that's just good, you know, so we're talking. And, and uh, uh, then uh, we got to talking a little bit more, and I discovered she was Korean. And I, I lived in Korea for a while when I was growing up. And uh, I know a few Korean words. I know important words, like kimchi. How many of you know that word? That's a good word to know. If you know that word, it's good to know wajangshil. That's how you say, where's the restroom? Okay, that's how that works. Those two words go together sometimes. And so I was sharing, you guys, did that bother you? Forgive me, okay. So I, I'm sharing my few Korean words with her, and, and uh, we're talking and we're laughing. And, and uh, the end of that story is basically this. Here is a family with not even enough information to begin to fill out a credit app, number 52 on the list, but at the end of that day, that home had been rented to our family. Now, why? I'll tell you why. Because God was there. In a moment in time, to be honest with you, when I'm just looking at all this going, oh, great, i got to fill out a credit app. How do you put on a credit app? I don't have a job. I don't even have a checking account yet. I don't have any money. I don't know what I'm doing. Where am I? What's going on? God, are you sure you asked me to come here? You know, and Lisa's thinking, Steve, are you sure you heard God say, come here? And, and we're going through all this. But you know, at that moment, we were reminded, even though we didn't feel in that moment like God was working, He was working and He provided for us. I love the way David in Psalm 90 and verse 1 made this statement. Lord, You've been our dwelling place. You've been our dwelling place. Now somebody can say, no, 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 your dwelling place has changed. You guys lived in Egypt, you wandered around the wilderness, you guys, you've had a lot of dwelling places. And David said, yeah, but everywhere we've been, God's already been there. He, he traveled with us and was there when we arrived. And God is the one that we're dwelling in, we're trusting in, our confidence is, is found in Him. 
the presence of God equips us in life. We also learn in this text that God's promise comes to us by way of a position, a position. Listen to how God addresses Gideon, not the way we would. God said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. Now, he didn't look like a mighty man of valor, okay? He didn't look like he was on top of the world. I want you to understand today that there are forces in your life and my life that would love to pull you away from the seat, the position that you have in Jesus Christ. Here you are, and what have we been learning all week, all study? Because of Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with God that lasts forever. Because of Jesus Christ, we can know the forgiveness of our sins, and we can forgive others. We're accepted in the beloved. And there are forces in life and seasons in life that want to remove you from the joy of your salvation. And I, I want you to understand this today. Please underscore this in your heart. You are exactly who God says you are. You're not who your critics think you are or the person on the other end of the phone tearing you down thinks you are. You're, you're not who the boss is that's evaluating you or, or fellas, maybe the mother-in-law's assessment, uh, assessment of you. I don't know what it might be. I want you to know this today. You are who God says you are. And if God says you're a mighty person of valor, that makes you a mighty person of valor. God knows that we need to understand this. And he's filled this word with reminders of our position. Now, in the course of our study, we've been taking some time to go to the book of Ephesians. And I want to go back and just read some of the verses we've been through, but this time looking at it from the standpoint of uh, what, what is it exactly that I have in the Lord? Well, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us. First thing we have to understand is we're blessed, folks. We are blessed, and we're grateful for that. And that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The Bible goes on to say this, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. And I don't want to get into the intricacies of this at this time for a few reasons, but I want to say this. If you're here today and you're a believer, mark it down. I want you to know before you ever were, you were on the heart of God. And I want you to know today if you're a believer, it's not because you were just so passionate in your pursuit of God. It's because God is the prime mover in salvation. We wouldn't know of our need for God were it not for God's love. We wouldn't understand what it is to be saved if it weren't for the work of Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful today to tell you, if you're a person of faith, you mark it down, you underscore it. You've been blessed in God. You've been chosen in God uh, uh, that we should live uh, be holy and without blame before him in love let's go to the next one having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by jesus christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will we've been adopted into the family of god in this culture adoption meant this you're a legal heir you're a legal heir friends we're joint heirs with jesus christ the bible tells us we've been blessed to having god the father a heavenly father that says you're in the family you're a part of this thing up to your eyeballs to the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. We talked about this great acceptance that we have in Jesus Christ and we, we should never get over the fact that we have in God a God that loves us with all His heart for all time. He goes on to say this, in whom we have redemption. We've been redeemed. We talked about that last week. Jesus paid for our sins with His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace wherein He hath abounded toward us in all uh, wisdom and prudence friends i just want you to underscore today that when we get up from this seat that we find by way of god's grace when life brings a challenge or life brings an opportunity our way that leads us to walk away from this life that enjoys our position in christ it's always a step down when you leave that place it's always a step down when we fail to grasp who we 
are, will always live below our privileges. Now, I heard in the news uh, this week or last, uh, Reese Witherspoon got, got pulled over, and, and uh, if you watch the news, she asked the cop over and over, right? The police officer over and over, do you know who I am? Apparently she forgot for a moment. Is that what happened, you think? Do you know who I am? And he knew who she was. She was the one fixing to get a mugshot, okay? That's how that works. And uh, do you know who I am? And I thought, oh, there has to be one nice person, you know? No, don't, don't be mean like that. But she, she was, you know. Do you know who I am? Uh, friends, listen. We ought not get arrogant, and we certainly shouldn't shout this at a police officer, but, but in life we can have this sense. Hey, there's a challenge ahead of you. Great. Do you know who I am? I'm a child of God. He loves me. I'm blessed in him. He's forgiven my sins. I'm accepted in the beloved. Bring the challenge on. You know who I am. And, and in, in the appropriate sense, that, that can lead us forward. Gideon wasn't living like a mighty man of valor, but when he began to see himself as God did, he began to make history. He launched out by faith. He did some things he never thought he'd do. God equipped Gideon with his presence and with his position. I want us to see as we continue looking on today, God's power through purpose, through purpose. In verse 14 of this text, the Bible says this, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? I love the fact here that Gideon's life had a purpose that allowed him to have power and focus. Understand this, friends. God has no interest in giving you power to do nothing with it. So we say, God, would you give me your power? I need your power. And God says, no, I don't want to give you my power. Well, why not? Because you're not doing anything worthwhile with it. God says, I tell you what, I'll give you my power if you do the stuff that I want you to do. And so God says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. Man, we've got a force over here, and they, they need to be encountered, these Midianites. And uh, as you do what I want you to do in life, you're going to find my power will be there with you along the way. It's the power of purpose that comes from God. And, and uh, I'm grateful for that. God's power is something that comes along with His calling. Now, you've heard me tell the story in the past of the bodybuilder on the late night talk show, and he comes out and he's flexing his muscles, and the audience cheers, right? I won't do it right now. Don't want to tear the suit coat, okay? But he comes out and he flexes, and everybody cheers, you know, and, and he makes his way over to the seat next to the host, and, and uh, uh, the host says, boy, those are some muscles, you know, and he stands up and flexes, and everybody cheers again, and, and uh, the host says, what do you do with those muscles? And he flexes, and everybody cheers, and they go through this a few times, and the point's finally made when the question is asked, what do you do with those muscles? pretty vain, right? So you, you take <laughs> uh, drugs probably, right? And then you lift some weights and you get big muscles so you can flex and people will cheer uh, your muscles. But practically, what do you do? And the point was, you know, you don't really do much. You just stand around and, and you have big muscles and you try to get people to applaud at you. I want you to know God is not interested in giving us his power so that we can stand around and flex our muscles and have people be impressed with who we are and what we've done. That kind of runs contrary to how the whole thing works. He wants to see His work in our lives and, and to honor Him. God does not empower us simply so we can be strong. God gives us strength equal to the challenge so that we can accomplish what He would have us to do. I think of those first century Christians. and Boy, weren't they inspiring? They knew what it was to have difficulties. Listen to what the Bible says of them in Acts 4 and 29. The Bible says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And I'm going to read on, but threatenings in the first century was, I mean, it was intense. Lives are at stake here. 
And so they're praying to God, God, I want you to behold the idea there is look intently. God, you really need to look into this matter. We're being threatened. We're your followers and we're being threatened. So God, behold, cast your gaze upon their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Listen to what they did not pray. They did not say, God, would you move, uh, remove the threat from us? Would you remove the obstacle? That's not what they said. They said, God, we're here in the midst of this and we want you to be aware of what's being said and, and we're content to live in your will. But God, if these threats persist, we're really going to need some boldness because it makes us afraid. Would you give us the strength we need to do what we need to do? What a prayer of faith. God, we're trusting you. I love that. They, they didn't ask for the trial to be removed. They simply asked for power to deal with it as they should. God never promises to remove our problems, but he did promise to go through them with us and enable us to deal with them as we should. You know, Gideon's life, just imagine him down in that hole and he's trying to do the wheat and he's just so irritated. And life to him at that point, it kind of degenerated into just find a way to keep breathing. Your heart keep pumping. And once he got a little purpose back and saw there's more to life than just trying to be alive, it, it changed things for him. Um, my wife is in the early service. She's probably in the nursery this service, but I, I was thinking about this. I would hope if you ask Lisa, you know, is, is Steve a pretty nice guy? I'd hope she'd say, oh, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy, Steve. You know, I hope she'd say that. Uh, you should ask her to see what she says. I don't know. I have not primed that question already. You'd get an honest answer, you know. Um, but if you were to ask her, I know this. Hey, of all the days of the week, which day is Steve more likely to be crabby? She'd tell you Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday? What's up with Wednesday? Uh, well, that's my day off. You say, well, what are you getting crabby on your day off for? You're supposed to be happy on your day off. And I don't, I don't know, but we noticed a little trend, you know. Uh, sometimes uh, I, I'll uh, have uh, that day off and, man, you know, this we're just flying up to Sunday, and Monday's a big day. Tuesday, I'm always out late working with folks. Tuesday night's always a late night. So Wednesday, sometimes I'll say, man, just shut the blinds. Let me, let me wake up when I wake up, you know. And uh, so you'll burn time in the morning that the rest of the six days of the week, you're getting something good done. And, and then, you know, you'll drink too many cups of coffee. And, and I'm not saying there's no value in watching Dr. Oz. Sometimes it's good to learn about berries and stuff. But you know, sometimes I'll get halfway through a Wednesday and I, I get to thinking, man, I just wasted a whole day of my life. I'm never going to get back again. What kind of loser am I, you know? No, I know there's value in rest. But so every now and then I'll start to get worked up and Lisa will say, look, you just rested for a day. Just relax and enjoy the rest. You don't have to get crabby about it. But that, that's kind of what it is in my heart. When I get to feeling like I'm losing focus, I'm not getting something done. Man, you can just really become a total negative, defeated type of person and here's Gideon he got to a place in his life where he's just thinking I'm just burning my life it's all about get enough food to hopefully have a meal today and feed the family and try and do it tomorrow I've got no hope of a future no hope of anything getting better these Midianites are on my neck all the time and and when he got a sense of purpose it all changed for him a great a great example of the right way to look at problems is found in David when he faced Goliath. I want you to listen to what David said as he uh, looks at Goliath getting ready to size this situation up. And David said, what have I now done? Now listen to this, friends. Is there not a cause? He didn't say, man, look, is, is there not a giant? Is there not a behemoth of a man that says he's going to kill me and then feed me to the animals? He, he said, look, there's a cause. There's a purpose. 
Viktor Frankl, who endured so much at the hands of the, of the Nazis, he came to the conclusions that, that people can endure any what if there's a why. If there's a reason, if there's a cause, if there's a purpose, they can go through anything. And we've all seen that at times in our lives. We've endured maybe great adversity because it was a benefit to our child or it was necessary in that moment. And I want you to know, when we have a sense of purpose from God that our life has meaning and there is something of importance to do, we'll be able to press on. And in Gideon's case, and it can be so in our lives even when the odds seem to be so enormous. I hear people say many times, well... Look here. Well, the good Lord will help us to cope with this. Now, friends, look, I don't know everything, but I've read the Bible front to back a lot of times. I haven't found the word cope yet. And the Lord our God shall make us good copers. It's not in there. Now, the word conquer, it's in there. And I think sometimes we sell the power of God and we sell our potential so short when we, when we kind of take an approach in life that says, well, I'm just going to do my best to cope through this. And God says, don't cope through that. Conquer through that. Don't be overcome by that. Overcome it. Be a champion. Be the victor that I've created you to be. Conquerors, not copers. Listen to Romans 8 and 37. The Bible says this, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Romans 8, 37. As in Rome. As in conqueror was as high as it got. If you were to ask the typical Roman, man, what's the peak of life? What's the top shelf of humanity? They would say a conqueror. They go to war. They win. They come home to the parade. They get the spoils. They get the accolades. They get the notoriety. They get the money. A conqueror. That's as big as it gets. And Paul writing to these believers in Rome said, no, we are more than that. We're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ that loved us. Oh, listen. This is not just happy talk. This is not another way of looking at things. Gideon had to grasp the truth that there was more to life than just existing. And to really live, he had to understand that God had a unique purpose and to plug his life into that purpose. And every day for the rest of his life that he understood this truth, he had something big to do for God because all of it matters. God's power was through his purpose. Let's think finally about the fact that God's peace was a permanent peace. Listen to God's response to Gideon's doubts. All right, in verse 16, he said, Surely I'll be with thee, and, and I'll smite the Midians as one man. And thou shalt rather smite the Midians as one man. I, I love those words, surely I'll be with you. Now, Gideon, you're going to smite the Midianites, but I'm going to be with you, enabling you. You know, when I am lacking God's peace in my life, it's because I'm failing to believe that God has promise to go with me he's not just sending me you know he doesn't just send us into marriage say do your best he says uh i'll be with you you go and i'll help you uh, or parenting or or any of the rest he's with us along the way he's promised to the apostles as jesus finished his ministry he had some very clear things to say he said lo i'm with you always even to the end of the world and it was such a great thing he said he just said amen he said, boy, I just said a great thing there. Amen. I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. He said, listen, uh, man, I'm not going to leave you. Bodily I will, but my spirit will come. My presence is with you. This will be a permanent thing. Now, Gideon did not think he was up for the task at all of fighting the Midianites, but he learned that God had been preparing him all along. In that moment, he had to come to understand, oh, man, everything I'm going to need to do this job, God has already put in my life. That was a blessing to him. 
I, I don't know if this is a great sermon, but I know this is a great thought. That if we'll get a hold of it, it can help us. Because we're all people who tend to feel overwhelmed at times in life. And knowing this, God has built you in such a way that you don't lack one thing when it comes to doing His will in your life. See, what happened to Gideon is he'd gotten out of the seat, so to speak. And when he got back to understanding that position, he was blessed. He was able to do what God gave him to do. And when we rest in Christ, we'll find His power is more than enough to work through us. What a great thought in the life of Gideon. Encouraging. Would you all be so kind as to join